Welcome to Top House Sports, where we analyze and break down sports games from the week, as well as our reactions and predictions from this past week. I'm Hazard True, Lawrence Kidmutamid, and we have a lot to talk about, so let's get started. So first of all, the conference championship, a lot of great games, and a very big surprise though. The first game, let's talk about it: the Eagles and the 49ers. The 49ers lost 7-31 in a blowout game, and honestly, not many people thought that the 49ers were going to lose in that fashion. In fact, many people thought that the 49ers were going to win over the Eagles and potentially win the Super Bowl as well. So let's go with you, Kading, first. What was your reaction from that game from the 49ers and the Eagles? Yeah, I mean, I had the 49ers actually winning this game, and it, it kind of all went badly after the injury was sustained by Brock Purdy. They just really looked like they weren't going to fight anymore or I don't I, I can't even describe it there was just like no chance of them winning with any other quarterback and for him to be playing with a, I, I believe a torn PCL um that's not an injury you can play on and actually like be able to pr- productively get uh, just play the game and it's 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 a little complicated because the, the Eagles did seem like the better team, but it's always a what if. Like, what if Brock Pur- Purdy was healthy? What if they had another quarterback that wasn't named Josh Johnson and really didn't suck? <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, it was interesting. The game, uh, I expected the wide receivers for the Eagles to have more of an impact. And while they did, I'm, I'm not going to take anything away from them. But that Devontae catch, in my mind, is still not a catch. Again, the refs in this game were a little iffy in favor of the Eagles, I feel like. So it was a, a little insult to injury as well. But again, the good win by the Eagles, they proved that they're the better team. And yeah, they're going to be in the Super Bowl because of it. The Eagles, I thought, had the better talent and the better team over the 49ers, even with Brock Purdy. But I was kind of surprised with this game too. Again, with the injury to Brock Purdy and then Josh Johnson got a concussion in the game too and Brock Purdy comes back with a torn PCL. So a lot of shenanigans going down on the 49ers offense. But let's talk about the coach for the 49ers, Kyle Shanahan. I mean, you put tight ends to block Hassan Reddick, the guy that had over 15 sacks in the year, uh, second in the league in sacks in this regular season. So when you have a backup tight end guarding one of the best pass rushers this year, it's not going to lead to success. And unfortunately for Brock Purdy, he suffered an injury because of that because of that poor uh, coaching scheme. So for the 49ers, they did not come ready for this game at all. Even from the start, it was kind of apparent that the Eagles were out to get the 49ers, and the 49ers just did not come out ready for the for the team. But let's talk about the Eagles, though. The rushing game with the Eagles, amazing. And we all t- knew this, the Eagles have one of the best rushing offenses in the entire league, and they proved it against a very stout and very tough 49ers defense that has been one of the best defenses since week four in the entire league. So for the Eagles, um, again, the rushing game, tremendous with Jalen Hurts and Miles Sanders. And that's really going to take him into the Super Bowl too. And they really ran down a lot of the time um, in the conference finals where they just kept running the ball, running the ball, and the time just kept chewing down. So if they, when they play Kansas City, Caden, uh, do you think that run game is really going to work in their favor, or do you think with how high power Kansas City is, they're going to have to rely more on the passing game? Um, I think that they're definitely going to have to rely on the passing game more. We know that the struggles in which the secondaries had for the Kansas City Chiefs, and I feel like if you're going to be Jalen Hurts, while the running game is always given to you, you need to exploit that passing game, and I feel like that's definitely one of the greatest weaknesses for the Chiefs, especially. Um, however, I feel like you're going to need to establish yourself with a run-capable with a run offense as well, 
we know Chris Jones, he's he's that guy for the Chiefs, and they kind of need to limit him. If he's able to have a minimal impact on this game, I can see the Eagles actually doing well in the pa- running game, and that opens up the passing game even more than what it was. And then they're able to get the ball to the likes of Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown. For sure. And let's go back to the 49ers once again. So now the season's over. Brock Purdy probably out for the entire offseason to recover from that torn uh, PCL. So with all the players coming back, so now you have Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, Trey Lance, now Brock Purdy. Who do you think is going to get that starting position next season for the 49ers? Now that injury is going to change things. They had previously said that Brock Purdy was going to be undoubtedly the starter next next year. And we don't even know if he's going to be healthy at the next next beginning of the season. So um, it'll definitely change. I honestly think that we're going to see Trey Lance start week one again. Um, he really hasn't gotten this shot with his team. And it's fair to say that this was his team because the Niners really spent a good chunk of their assets to get him. Those being three first round picks. And I really doubt they want to just toss away what they were trying to build there. Although it has yet to work out in their favor. This was the first team that got you in the space in the first place. And we know what def- the defense and offense are capable of. And now they may have Christian McCaffrey for a full season next year. This offense is going to be undeniably one of the best in the league. And so if Trey Lance is able to come back and prove to the Niners why they selected him third overall, I think this is going to pay dividends for them. And I think that they're going to be one of the main contenders of next year, too. So with how stacked the roster is, and we already know like this team, besides that quarterback position, is one of the best in the entire league. And for Jimmy Garoppolo, though, do you see the 49ers trading him or still keeping him on the roster? I really don't think that they have like just any reason to keep him on the roster. I know he's one of the best backup quarterbacks in the league, but I feel like he deserves a shot at another team where he isn't riding the bench. And it's arguable that he could have filled in, I feel like, for Josh Johnson upon injury if they had made it so that he he knew he was going to play, yet we saw him not even dressed. So, again, it was kind of an insult to injury, the fact that he wasn't available playoff time as well. But I, I don't see the need to keep him along with two capable starting quarterbacks. That's too many players in the QB room. And we saw this when the same thing, Jimmy Garoppolo was in the same position with Brady and Jacoby Brissett. And what happened? The Patriots traded him. So if the 49ers make the correct decision, I think that they will trade him. For sure. And let's move on to the AFC Championship game, the Chiefs and the Bengals. And again, another all-time classic game. It came down to the wire, and Kansas, and Kansas City came out on top off of a Harrison Bucker field goal. But let's go to the play before that one, where Mahomes runs out of the pocket, goes out of bounds, and gets pushed by one of the Bengals' defensive player, Osahi. And it gets called for a rough in the... Uh, or unnecessary roughness, an extra 15 yards on the play, and results in the game-winning field goal for Kansas City. So, Kaden, let's talk about that last play. What was your reaction, and do you think it was fair or unfair for that flag? I think it, it was a warranted flag, but you could have let that play. I, I feel like it it's just like to decide the game with a penalty where he was really just trying to make a play like that. Like I, There was no... A, like aggressive play that was made I don't think that it was unnecessary roughness it was just a guy trying to make a play on the ball he saw that Mahomes was not out of bounds yet he was running in the direction but to assert the uh, to just make sure that he does go out of bounds he pushes him and I don't think that that's a bad play I don't think that he made a bad play I think he was making the correct play in that instance and it's kind of like bringing back like these new timey rules for the referees 
this would have been no flag in the 90s and the, even the early 2000s. And it just shows that the way the rules have changed, it kind of just, it is a way to protect the players far more often. But you need to limit the amount of times that it'll affect the turnout of the game, and especially in the playoffs. Like, I, I think that you can't decide a game through a flag especially if the flag is not fully warranted. And my opinion on this is that while, yes, in the book, that is a flag, I think that it should just be looked at because that is just a person trying to make a play and limit the amount of yards that Mahomes can get. I feel like Mahomes was not out of bounds and he could have gotten a couple more yards out of it. And so I, I, I number 59, I forget his name for the Bengals, who did try to make that play. I don't, I don't, I don't see what the fault of his is. Like I think he just made a correct play on the ball. The quarterback running to the sideline is one of the hardest plays to judge, especially for a defensive person, because you really don't know if he's going to fake going out of bounds still or still continues to go up the sideline. So it's really hard to decide. But when you look at the footage really, really closely, Mahomes did have two feet out of bounds, and then the Bengals defensive lineman did push him out of bounds when Mahomes already had two feet out on the sideline so it was the correct flag to make I personally believe that that was the right call it doesn't matter if it was a couple seconds left fourth quarter game on the line it's just undisciplinary um, practice from the Bengals to you know have to do something like that especially with the magnitude of the Super Bowl being on the line and you have Mahomes in the stop he's running out of bounds and you just have to let him go yes I know you don't know if he's going to keep going up the sideline or go out of bounds but it's just disciplinary that goes to coaching, that goes to the defensive lineman, that goes to the defensive coordinator. It all goes down to discipline and if they could keep themselves disciplined. And just at the last second, he just wasn't disciplined enough to not push Mahomes out of bounds. And it sucked. He, he played a great game all until that last play. And when he did that, he also injured himself towards ACL. So a double loss for him and a big loss for the Bengals as well as Mahomes got an extra 15 yards off of that play due to that penalty. Let's talk about the Bengals, though. 2020, right, as the game score, Joe Burrow had one more chance to win the game but couldn't do it. Um, is there anything that the Bengals could have done differently during that drive or maybe throughout the whole game? I mean, the Bengals were playing as a comeback. Like, they were they were the ones trailing for a good chunk of that game. Like, we saw them down 6-13. to 13, They scored a touchdown, but then they were down 13-20. to 20. They were also on the comeback. And so when they really had the only opportunity of the game to take the lead, they couldn't. And they, they were forced into punting the ball. And I don't think that they should have gone for it. I don't think that anything in that sense you should have changed. It really came down to just like locking up Patrick Mahomes. That's, just, that's all you can do. And as we saw, they failed to do that, whether it was because of that penalty or not. They still made it down the field and two in field goal range, and they made the field goal. And from the Bengals' perspective, from the, specifically the offense, there's really nothing you can do in that position. Like You're not going to force anything. You're not going to try and just overcome the defense because again one slip up it's an interception or something like that you know you don't want to just take risks like that that late in the game that can have pivotal pivotable consequences and so yeah I I disagree in the fact that I don't think that they could have done anything differently yet it still stings definitely yeah and for the Chiefs Patrick Mahomes again cements himself as the best quarterback in the league playing on an ankle that's been hurting throughout the entire game and he's still able to come up time after time again and he's going to be incredible he does have two weeks to prepare for the Super Bowl so we'll see where they go with the Chiefs and the Eagles later on next week but let's talk about today a couple big news actually for a couple teams in the offseason Sean Payton first of all from the Saints has been acquired from the Broncos to become their next head coach and Caden how do you rate this move? Do you like this move? And how would you see the Broncos playing in next year with Sean Payton in the helm? Preseason, 
anyone could have said that they saw the Broncos making the playoffs with as talented of a roster that they had, yet it just went every everything went wrong. Like literally everything. The coaching staff was just not on the same page. The players were getting injured left and right. And it was kind of disastrous. And you you speak in the sense that Russell Wilson is a is a player that has won a Super Bowl. Um I don't think that he's out of his prime yet. I really don't. I think that just the situation caught him off guard and the coaching staff really just had a very negative impact on him. I don't think that he should take the credit. Although, he is some of the reason, I can't lie, why they ended up losing some games because of the just the flawed decisions that he was making. But again, with Sean Payton as your head coach, he will uh, just be the most important say in his ear. And I feel like Sean Payton's IQ when it comes to football will prove to be a positive for um, Russell Wilson. And you're going to get the likes of Javante Williams back. You're going to get some players that you were missing out, some key players who really would have had an impact for you last season. And so I think that the Broncos are doing the right moves, although you did give up a couple assets, key assets actually, yet you're going to make a run at the Super Bowl. And this this roster kind of has the talent to do so. I wouldn't say they measure up to the top dogs like the Eagles and the Chiefs as of right now, but... They have the potential, and maybe a couple more moves need to be made. We'll see. Um, but I really like this move getting Sean Payton, for sure. Yeah, for me, um, the past two weeks, or the past three weeks, after the head coach Nathaniel Hackett got fired, Russell Wilson looked like the Russell Wilson that the Broncos traded for. The quarterback that was able to extend plays, the quarterback that was able to make big throws and be that guy for the, the for the Denver Broncos. However, though, we talked about this already uh, Hackett and Russell Wilson, right? Their personalities just didn't mesh with the team. But both of them are kind of that lighthearted guy. Both of them are that um, the do the the people that aren't going to be the person to get up on your face. They're not the type of people to be brutally honest with you. Sean Payton, though, is the other guy. He is the guy that's going to be uh, very disciplined. He's going to be a guy that's going to get all over your face. He's going to bring that hard nose mentality, that old school mentality. And that's what the Broncos needed, right? Because Russell Wilson's not that type of guy to be like, hey, you got to do this. Hey, you got to do that. He's more of that funny, comedic type of guy. He's not really that soul leader that the Broncos needed. Sean Payton, though, does fill that leadership role for the Denver Broncos, and I really do like it on a personality side. Yeah. Also, okay. there, I also just randomly right now, there's some news that I just saw. Um, don't know how reliable it is, but it seems as though the Broncos are trying to negotiate with Vic Fangio to come back as the defensive coordinator for them. I know that um, there was some negotiation between him and the Dolphins as well, so it'll be interesting to see if anything spawns from that. But hey, this coaching staff may just get that much better if they are able to sign Vic Fangio. And you know, I really think that coaching is the most underrated part of a team. Um, You can't win if you don't have a good coaching staff, simply put, no matter how talented the roster is. Because the people deciding what you do behind the sidelines... They will have the ultimate impact on this game. And yeah, it would be a very, very key signing for they, if they were able to link Vic Fangio because they they do have a talented defense. And I think that just the flaws in the coaching staff really limited them last season. So it'll be interesting to see if they can. Yeah, definitely. And going back to my point, uh, so Sean Payton's history as the head coach, right? He's been able to lead the Saints to a Super Bowl win. And all of his time when he was the coach for the, uh, for the New Orleans Saints, he was making the Saints going to the playoffs almost every single year, a perennial playoff team every year. And look what he did to Michael Thomas, right? He made him one of the best wide receivers in the league for a couple of years. So we'll see how he does with the wide receivers here. You have Jerry Judy, one of the best wide receivers, I think, on this team. And he's 
a very unproven talent. His route running is one of the best in the league. He's very agile. He's very quick. He just hasn't been able to get that production. And I believe a large part of that is due to injury and coaching and maybe some of the quarterback play as well. But now you have a very experienced head coach that a lot of people, uh, a lot of past coaches from the Broncos can't say the same thing with you know, Vance Joseph, Vic Fangio, and now also Daniel Hackett. All three of them, they're like first-year head coaches, brand new, no experience whatsoever in the head coach department. However, though, Sean Payton, he's been in the he's been in the coaching realm for about 10, 11 years. So he's been here for a long, long time. He's going to bring the experience that the Broncos heavily need in that coaching staff. And like, again, like you just talked about with Vic Fangio, he's familiar with that Broncos system now since he's been a head coach. And we saw what he did with the 2017 Bears, making them one of the best defenses almost of all time. So with Vic Fangio hopefully coming to Denver, I really like their chances next year in the playoffs if they can make it. Let's talk about another coaching hire, though. Demarco Ryans for the 49ers, the defensive coordinator, has just been hired to a six, six-year six deal with the Houston Texans. And again, how do you rate this move, and where do you see the Texans going this uh, next year? Well, the Texans have kind of struggled really a lot in recent years, finding a true coach that can just take them out of the hole that they've been in. And this is really dating back to like Bill O'Brien and his days, making the decisions for the coaching staff and all that, too. Um since the Sean Watson's departure, they really haven't found a solidified coach that can really give them that positive impact. And I feel like it was only a matter of time, like they were that they would be able to get someone um, that was notable. And hey, no better person I feel like than Demarco Ryan's. I, I feel like the his presence on not only the defensive front but his ability to just ensure that the play is being called or just reading the defense or the offense, regardless of, like, I don't know. I'm very impressed with his um, IQ overall, and I feel like that he will bring a different type of energy to that Houston Texan team. Maybe we see a lot better of development for players like Derek Stingley. I know they are very high on him, and he's had an impressive rookie year too. So I really think that it was only a matter of time that um, he would get signed to a team and be their head coach because he's proved, again, that his talents behind Kyle Shanahan are deserving of being a coaching candidate. For me, I rate this move one of the best, a 9 out of 10 for the Houston Texans. I rate this move similar to the hiring from the New York Jets from Robert Sala. Robert Sala was the 49ers defensive coordinator before Demeco Ryans, and we see where the Jets went this year, right? They had a very impressive draft. They signed very good free agent, and they almost made the playoffs this year if it wasn't for that quarterback situation that we don't need to talk about. But Robert Sala brought that discipline from the 49ers to the Jets, and we've seen how that turned out. The Jets have made one of the almost like a complete 180 this year in terms of how they played, their energy, right? They almost made the playoffs like we just talked about. I feel like the Michael Ryans with this signing could make Houston not a playoff team. I would say they still need a long ways to go in terms of that roster, but it's a great step. And I believe not next year, but maybe the year after that, if they could get a really good draft this year or next year, bring us some free agents, they could really pull something like the Jets with what they have this year. I mean, he brings that discipline, and he's a defensive coordinator, so it's going to be that defensive mentality. Same has Salah, right? The, we saw the Jets this year have one of the, not the best, but a very, very surprising and solid defense. And we've seen the Texans this year be one of the underrated defenses in the entire league. So now you bring in a mastermind and a defensive coordinator with Demeco Ryans. He's going to make... He's going to make the Texans a really great defense. It's just got to work a little bit with the pieces on the roster and on offense, and we can see where he goes from there. But 
So far, like we talked about, coaching a really big factor, and I really like the signing for the Houston Texans. Yeah, like you said, I, I don't really expect anything out of, out of the Texans, and maybe even really in the next couple of years. But again, this is all about development. If they could, if uh, Ryan's could just help out with getting their young players to be the highest potential in which they can be, then that'll prove to be just a valuable, a very valuable move for the Texans. And I think that honestly, what they hold the top pick in this draft too, and it looks like they're really going to target a quarterback. So. Hey, if they can land someone, um, you know Bryce Young, I-, I feel like he could turn around that franchise. I know, I know, it's a rough stretch, but I, I, I really don't see any of the other top picks really going QB. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, now they got the coach, and now they need the players. So we'll see how it goes from here. Definitely, and let's move on to our final segment of today. And the very big storyline that's been going out throughout the whole sports world, not just the NBA, but also NFL as well. The refereeing, man, the officiating has been the spark of debate. A lot of mixed reactions, people disgruntled by the refereeing. And most notably, the one with the Lakers and the Celtics. LeBron James game on the line, goes up for a layup, gets fouled by Jason Tatum. At first, I was like, oh man, LeBron missed the layup. But when you look at the replay, a very clear and obvious foul from Jason Tatum slapping LeBron on the arm. And what makes it even worse was the ref was standing right there, eyes literally right in front of you and he just didn't make the call so Kaden how can you solve this refereeing problem if you can even make a solution for this honestly I don't see that there's a refereeing problem at all the Celtics should have won no kidding (laughs) (laughs) um no yeah there's been a very evident problem and honestly it's been surrounding the Lakers a lot of recently we saw um I believe there was a three-pointer I forget who by but there was a attempt to tie the game and there was a foul but there was no foul called for the Lakers and so that was a uh, Kendrick Nunn yeah Kendrick Nunn and so dating back even a few games I feel like just overall the consistency from the refs have not been there and we saw what a sarcastic comment as a response I mean I, I expect them to take accountability instead of just kind of swaying it off like that as a Celtics fan, that was no doubt a foul on Jason Tatum. Like, he got him across the arm. There's no arguing that. And to say that you're blunt just right in front of the play, too, we saw the angle which the ref had, the utmost perfect angle to see if there was a foul called, and there was none. I don't know if the Celtics kind of paid them off a little bit to kind of go sway their way, but it, just, it was really, really bad missed call. Like, that affected the game entirely. Definitely. And for me... Yeah, you could find the refs, you could find them for making missed calls, but two things comes to mind with why this won't work. First of all, right, let's talk about how they tried to solve this refereeing problem years before in 27, 2018. I'm not sure if you remember, Kaden, there was a whole like pandemic of players being upset with the refs, people were getting tossed out for no reason, and there was just this big debacle of, oh, are the players too soft, are the refs too soft? And how did they change that? They brought video review and coaches challenge so now the refs can maybe go back on their mistake if they missed a call or they made the wrong call right but has that really changed anything no right the refs are still missing calls and uh, players can only get one challenge and even that like they can't argue a missed call they can't challenge a missed call so that hasn't worked out in favor of that either second thing though if you do find the refs right is that really going to change anything that same thing goes for nba players they get technical fouls right they get fined for that but does that stop another player from getting a technical foul? Let's bring in Draymond, for example. He gets fined for a technical foul against a referee for yelling at them, right? He gets ejected. That's like about, what, $20K fine? It's not going to stop Draymond Green from getting another technical a couple games later. No, right? It's not. It's not really going to limit how many times Draymond Green is going to have a technical foul. 
Same thing can be applied to NBA refereeing. If you find a ref for missing a call, right? What is that really going to do anything for them missing a call? No, not really. It's going to go. The problem is how they're being trained. How are they getting the missed call? Why are they getting the missed call? And that is just another reason or another discussion for another time. Maybe it's the training that's off for the NBA refereeing. Maybe I don't know what it is, but so 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 far there's a big problem. And right now, all the NBA or everyone is saying, "Oh, they should get fined. They should get fined." But I believe that's not really going to solve the problem. Venting that's just another solution surrounding the problem. It's not really deeping. It's not going to go in depth into the actual problem, which is how these refs are being trained. Yeah. Um. Simply said, you can't find the refs. Like not not to only mention that they're not making as much as these million dollar paid athletes. Like. That's coming out of their salary, and that's kind of flawed. Like, you're not going to have refs that want to really referee if they're going to be take it, just a lot of money taken out if they make a flawed call. And honestly, like you said, the 2017-18 season sparked a lot of outrage, and that's how we got the turn into a coach's challenge, and I like that. Yet, in that process, they got rid of something that I feel like was pivotal to reaching agreements at the end of games, and that's the two-minute rule. I think that the two-minute rule... At the end of the game, that every call is replayed if there's a little bit of confusion on it. That should have stayed. And I really don't understand why you get rid of that. Because that just helps referees make the correct calls in game-saving scenarios. Like, I'm sure. Um, Maybe not in the LeBron case because that was at the buzzer. But if there's any time left on the clock, you go and you review. Like, I I really don't understand what made the NBA say, Oh, yeah, we're going to get rid of that and change it to where you can challenge it once a game. I, I... I don't understand that. And to compare it to like that of the NFL, the NFL has three challenges. And if you get the challenge correct, you get your you 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 get a, your challenge back, I believe. And so yeah. I, I I really think that the NBA should at least think about maybe adding more challenges. Eh, maybe not because there's a, there's a lot of calls that can go easily one way. But I, I I do agree that the two minute rule should come back. What do you have to say about that? Um, it's interesting. I have a question for you on top of that, too. Would you rather sacrifice pace of play um, and action after action? Would you rather sacrifice that for a correct call or would you rather sacrifice a missed call for a continued play? So, for example, let's just go down to the clutch. One minute left, right? Guy scores down, right? On the other end, ball goes out of bounds and they have to go review. That takes another five minutes off the clock and it just kind of lessens, lessens the tension and less lessens the atmosphere right would you rather sacrifice that for the right call or would you rather have a missed call but keep that tension high in the game now this is a very good question um i believe that basketball games are always enjoyed more when there's high tension and like you said it's gonna be a stoppage of play if you have to go and review that yet i really think that in order to get the correct call to suffice you, you, any team would really be in that position. If you're on the team that says, oh, we think that it went off the other team and they called it off of you guys, um, I think you're going to want that stoppage of play. And I think as an unbiased way, you should always go for that uns- like the stoppage of play in order to just check to see if you got the call correct. And I know it's going to take away from the adrenaline of the game, yet I feel like that's I would sacrifice that in order to get the correct call. Because, again, if it really changes the game, that call being made maybe for and against the team, I, I think that it's the right thing to do. Definitely, me too. As a fan, I want high action, right? I want that tension to be high. I want to be on the edge of my seat. But 
for the player, right? Let's just I'm cheering for the Lakers. I'd rather have the right call. I'd rather have that call to be right rather than me being on the edge of my seat. Cause we've seen it, man. The there's a stat that came out. If the Lakers with those four missed calls with the one against the Mavericks, the Celtics, the Kings, and I believe there's one more. Oh, the Sixers. If all of them turned the other way and the Lake and the Lakers somehow won that game, they would have been twenty seven and twenty three. That would have pushed them from thirteenth all the way to fourth in the West. That's a that's a nine nine uh nine seed difference right there. That's gonna get you from literally the edge of the conference to literally in the lottery all the way to a very, very high playoff seed that could get you home court advantage. So with that discrepancy of play, with that discrepancy of the standings and like the refereeing just gotta be better, man. Like you're costing teams games, you're costing teams wins, you're costing teams playoff experience. And one of them I remember very clearly, Damian Lillard, a long time ago got his shot blocked by Rudy Gobert, but they missed a blatant goal tending call. That could have made the Blazers make the playoffs or even could have made them miss the playoffs. So a lot of things going on, a lot of implications with missed calls, and it's just another problem that the NBA has to solve very, very soon. Yeah, and one thing I wanted to mention, refs are human. They do make mistakes. It's going to be in, uh, impossible to limit every mistake that they make, yet the job of the NBA association should be to limit those mistakes, and I feel like they would be able to do that if they were to re-implement the two-minute rule. So again, some some controversy, but I feel like the refs definitely you can't find them that that's out of the picture so there's something needs to change though because the way that we're seeing the refs have massive implications on these big games it swings team seasons as you said like the lakers so something needs to change definitely and that's all we have for today and for more episodes check out top house sports on spotify i'm hansel chill i came with tammy here and we'll see you next time